Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk 3, we finished the book of Habakkuk today. We've been in it for the last two weeks. It's a three-chapter book, so three weeks to complete it. Um, and it's a dense book for being three chapters. Um, there, there's so much glory within it. Um, you know, we like to think everything will turn out a happy ending. We like to think that's how it's going to play out. Um, it happens in about every movie that we watch, especially corny Christian movies. Um, as someone who loves movies, I don't really care for Christian movies. Most of them uh, I, I watch, and I'm like, uh, I don't really like that movie. Um, usually because it's just not a very good story, if you actually think about it. It's not true to reality. Um, it, it's corny for, for a reason. Uh, some kind of bad tragedy happens, something that in the real world likely wouldn't turn out with a fairy tale ending, but then it does, um, and everyone is happy and smiling in the end. Um, gives you a completely false sense of reality, but we justify it as a bad story by saying at least there's no cussing in it. Um, that, that's the reason I don't care for Christian movies, because often that's not reality. It's not reality. We trick ourselves into thinking that's what life is always going to be like, and it's not. So when it doesn't turn out the way we want, the way we think it should, we scream to the heavens. God, why would you let this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. I'm supposed to have a happy ending to my life. We often have no framework in our mind for things turning out in a disaster and staying that way. George Washington, our first president, had a very untimely death. He um, had just ended his term as president in 1797, um, he, um, he, he, had, he hadn't been president. It was 1799, less than two years later. Um, he was about to enjoy retirement. He was on a journey one night, and it started raining. And, of course, he's on a horse because they didn't have, you know, Chevy and Palas then. He's on a horse. He's, drive, he's riding the horse, and it starts pouring down raining, and he gets soaked. And so he gets home, and he develops a head cold, as we all would. And, of course, we would think he, he's going to be okay. He's, he'll get better. Just give him some tea and some soup and some Advil, and he'll be fine. I mean, he's George Washington. He's important. But he didn't get better. He died of a head cold less than two years after he finished being president. Things don't always turn out with a happy ending. We all hope for a life that is going to last 80 to 90 years and tie up with a bow at the end. Um, to where everyone in our life gets to say goodbye to us and we get to die expectedly, but then you die suddenly in your 60s or in your 40s 
you, you think you still have 20 or 40 years left, and you don't. Habakkuk has to work through a similar situation. He knows bad things are coming. He's just been told for two chapters bad things are coming, and now he's got to come to grips with it. He's got to figure out, how am I going to deal with this? What am I going to do? So he prays about it. He prays about it. So we're going to read his prayer. Chapter 3 is his prayer in response to everything he's just been talking to God about. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The, certain, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the seas when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The, 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 the raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of, the, of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor honey be on, nor fruit be on the vines, the, the produce of olive... Hang on, let me try verse 17 again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the folds, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. So let me remind you where we've been as we work through Habakkuk to get you up to chapter 3. Habakkuk was looking around at the culture he, that, that he lives in. It's completely godless. It's completely wretched. And he asked God, how much longer are you going to let this be the case? How much longer are you going to make, are you going to let Israel be like this? And God responds, uh, I'm, I'm raising up the, the, the Babylonians and they're going to come wipe out Israel. And Habakkuk says, wait a second, what? The Babylonians are worse than we are. And God says, yeah, I know. 
I'm going to destroy them too. I'm going to destroy them worse, actually. Habakkuk has been told what God is going to do, and now he has to accept it. He has to accept it. So we see Habakkuk dealing with that news. He's just been told that there's no happy ending to this story. There is no happy ending. They aren't going to come out of this smelling like a, smiling like a cute little family like the end of a pure flicks movie. No, judgment is coming. So Habakkuk prays. He prays. And it says there in verse 1, it's a prayer according to the Shiganoth. Habakkuk writes this like a prayer in similar fashion to how a lot of Hebrew writing was done. A lot of the Psalms, um, it uses the term the Shiganoth. It's a term used in Psalm chapter 7 as well. Those are the only two places I believe in Scripture we see this term. Um, what, is, what is a Shiganoth, maybe you wonder? I'm going to tell you what it is. You ready? Very profound. We have no idea what a Shiganoth is. We have no idea. Scholars' best guess is that it, it is a worship song. That's essentially what it is, is that it's a, it's a song of worship. We see this connection um, as we look down at verse 19. Um, it, to the choir master with stringed instruments. He's doing a song here. This is more than just a prayer. It's also a song that's going to be performed. Essentially, Habakkuk has heard this terrible news, and he can do nothing but worship. He can do nothing but worship. His home is about to be destroyed. His people, his land, his way of life. God is all he has left, so he worships. He worships. Notice he says in verse 2, I have heard. I have heard. So what does he do? He prays. He's heard everything God is going to do. I've heard chapters 1 and 2, so I pray. He prays for the rest of this chapter. I have heard, so I pray. Do you know what's missing from uh, maybe your prayer life, but from a lot of people's prayer life, the word of God. The word of God is missing from your prayer life. Typically, when people pray, they do one of two things. Either they recite babble that sounds holy, you know, our Lord and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all your many blessings. We have the starving pygmies in New Guinea. There's a reason later the cable guy pokes fun at that, because that's how, that's how people pray. Um, and then secondly, um, so reciting babble, and then secondly, simply praying a laundry list of, of random things over, you know, just, just coming to God like a genie. Hey, God, give me this wish, give me this wish, give me this wish, give me this wish. In Jesus' name, amen. We, we, we keep our prayers strictly to um, physical matters. We, we need to pray for physical matters. We need to pray for the sick and the dying. But we must also grow our prayer life beyond simply praying a list of, of genie wishes. We must pray for spiritual matters along with physical matters. Your prayer life will be deficient if you only pray physical things. You must pray spiritual things as well. Because most of the prayers in the Bible are about spiritual matters. God, fill us with the fullness of God. I think that's Colossians 1. Um, God, make us to know the full power of Christ's love, Ephesians 3. All throughout the Psalms, glorify your name in all the earth. These are spiritual prayers. So how do you pray for spiritual matters? Well, you do what, what Habakkuk does here. You, you pray in response to God's word. You pray in response to what God has said. 
when, when I get up in the morning I, I, and I read the scriptures and I pray, I pray about various things, but, but I don't pray for 50 different things when I wake up in the morning. I, I typically pray for something for my wife and son, but a good amount of my prayers in the morning are just responding to what God has said in his word as I've read it. It's just praying God's word back to him. So it might be, you know, maybe I read Psalm 23 that morning, um, and, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I pray, Lord, I praise you that you're my shepherd. I'm really confused about what to do next in this one area of my life. Would you shepherd me through this? Would you help me? Maybe it's John 15, uh, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Lord, I want to abide in you always. I want to be so close to you that I can never imagine being torn apart from you. But I confess I'm distracted. Would you help get this distraction out of my life and help me abide in you stronger? Do, do you see spiritual prayers here? It's responding to God's word. Try this next time you read scripture. Find something that you read and pray it back to God. Turn it into a prayer request. In that moment... You're not going to say a bunch of vain words like a zombie praying a laundry list. You're just going to pray in response to God's word. Find a truth within the passage and pray it. It will revolutionize your prayer life. So what does Habakkuk do as he prays? Well, he, he asks God to do his faithful work again. Verse 2 there, he, he tells him, I've heard about everything you've done. I've heard about all the things you've done in the past. Revive it. Do that again. Do that again. He's been told for two chapters now, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to wipe Israel out. I'm not going to do the Exodus thing again. I'm going to wipe Israel out. But he still prays, Lord, do what you did in Exodus. Like, do it again. Habakkuk knows the bad news is coming, but that doesn't stop him from praying that it won't. He prays, I know what you're going to do. You've told me. Please don't. But please turn again to mercy. That's what he says. In wrath, Verse 2, in wrath, remember mercy. He says, I know the ways you've worked among us in the past. Do it again. I know that you led us out of Egypt. You brought the ten plagues. I know you defeated Jericho. I know you defeated Goliath. I know you defeated the prophets of Baal. You've done incredible things. Revive that kind of work. In your wrath, please remember mercy. Kind of similar to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any way, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours. Lord, I know i got to go to the cross. If there's any other way, let's do that. But if not, I'll still go to the cross. Praying and ultimately knowing that God's will will be done. We pray like crazy before a tragic fate arrives that it will not come to pass. But what happens when it does? Because it does for Habakkuk and his people. It does for the people of Israel, and it does for Jesus. He, he goes to the cross. Habakkuk prays, remember mercy, don't destroy us in your wrath, but God does destroy them in his wrath. He does. What do you do when you beg God for the good result to come? You know, please don't let the cancer test come back positive. Please don't let COVID kill my hospitalized loved one. Please don't let me lose my job in this economy. Please don't let the divorce come. Please don't let my kids go down that path. Please don't let our nation end up in this place that it's going. And then it does. What do you do? Well, let's look at what Habakkuk does because it's going to happen. That was verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 15 if you didn't know um, kind of all the imagery going on here, you'd probably be really confused by verses 3 through 15. 
because it's a lot of imagery that you're like, what is he talking about? In the midst of all this, just understand, he's describing tragedy that has come and is coming, and he's looking for God in the midst of it. He's looking for God in the midst of his tragedy. He uses a lot of imagery from Exodus. You notice there in verse 3, he, he mentions Timon and Mount Paran. Those are both places Israel went um, during the Exodus once they were out of Egypt. Um, basically, the point of this section is God is going to come and carry out his will and nothing is going to stop him, just like in Exodus, just like he did with Egypt, it's going to happen. So i got to find God in the midst of my tragedy. Unfortunately, there are a lot of loony preachers out there who preach what is known as the prosperity gospel. Avoid these people at all costs. Um, just a few to name, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Benny Hinn, Bill Johnson, Paula White, Joseph Prince, Kenneth Copeland. They basically teach that if you're faithful to God, he will always bless you with prosperity and good things. He will always give you good things in this life. COVID-19 really bankrupted their worldview. It really did. There's a video on YouTube of Kenneth Copeland um, early on in COVID, like in March of 2020, um, and, and Kenneth Copeland, understand, thinks that he has the authority to declare things in existence or out of existence. He thinks he's a little version of God. Um, and so the, there's a video in, in, uh, of him in an empty room praying on a simulcast, declaring that COVID-19 is supposed to leave, and then blowing some air, like he's going to blow it away, like the big bad wolf. It... it they took it and made a rap remix version of it on YouTube. I love it. I watch it every now and then just for a laugh. Um, but, but it's ridiculous. If you listen to these people preach, stop immediately. If you have any other books on your bookshelf, you have my permission to throw them away. Or let's have a church bonfire. Because the Bible's clear. Sometimes God's will is not for you to be rich. Sometimes God's will is not for you to have a satisfied life here on this earth. Sometimes... It's that you walk through suffering, and he has plans for that suffering to, to work for your good. He's not being evil or hurtful. He has purposes in the suffering. Sometimes it's a, to purify us. Sometimes it's to make us cling closer to Christ. Sometimes it's to show us the emptiness of this world, to form our character, to do so many things like that. Those purposes, however, may be stunted by how we respond to the suffering when it comes. How do we respond to suffering? Well, let me just give you four ways that, that we tend to respond that are bad. First is isolation. We just close ourselves off from everything until it's over. We, we don't want anybody's help. We don't want to see anybody. We just want to hide in a box until the storm passes. Or we do indulgence. Indulgence. This often happens in isolation. We just eat our pain away. We, we just eat junk food to numb the pain. You know, I'm going to just stuff my gullet full of Cheetos, and that'll, that'll fix the problem. I'll just drink my sorrows away. I'll just binge on Netflix and escape into five seasons of Grey's Anatomy. That'll, that'll make me escape from this. I'll scroll on Facebook until my eyes bleed, because it's better than being in this place. But that's not helping the pain, is it? All it's doing is adding weight and making you more depressed. Third, pretending like everything's okay. We pretend like everything's okay. We put on a happy face and we pretend like nothing's going on, but really we're dying inside. You're lying when you do this. You don't allow anybody to help you carry the weight of that pain. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens. I can't bear your burdens if you pretend like you don't have any. Or fourth, minimizing. 
I mean, yeah, that happened, but it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Everything will be okay. Just think happy thoughts. That, that's not dealing with it. That's not dealing with it. What happens when you don't deal with tragedy? You pent it up. You pent it up. Like, you pent it up like a dam, and then you have 10 more tragedies happen in your life. Then one day the dam bursts, and you leave your family and go off with a mistress and restart your life on the other side of the country because your current life is so miserable you'd rather die than keep on living it. That's what happens. We don't want to respond to tragedy like either any of those ways. We look for God in the midst of our suffering. We, we figure out where is God at? What is he doing in my suffering? What is the proper way to respond? Look at what Habakkuk does. He, he's going through all this in 3 through 15. Notice the entire time. What's the main, what, what's he talking about? He's talking about what God is doing. He's, he, he never describes the tragedy itself. He, he, he doesn't talk about people getting taken off into exile. He doesn't describe people getting killed, none of that. No, he just talks about how God's glory and God's wrath come wrecking through the land and literally everything bows to it. Look, verse 5, pestilence and plagues, bow, they, they, they follow. Um, mountains and hills, verse 6, they, they, they shake. Uh, rivers, verse 8, um, the 11, the sun and the moon. 12, the nations. 15, the sea. All these things are bowing to God. They're, they're following what God says for them to do. He is moving in the midst of all of this. He's working. God is going to sweep through the land, and in the end, it will all bow to him. Every bit of it, everything that happens, good and bad, will ultimately serve his grand purpose. He is sovereign over all things. The things that happen in the world are not just random accidents. The world is not out of control. God moves the tide of history to carry out his will. Why does he do that? Well, it's tucked right there in that passage, verse 13. He works for the salvation of his people. He's always looking out for his people. He's always working for their salvation. He works out, Romans 8 says, he works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's doing everything for their good. He's always carrying out his will in the world for the salvation of his people. That's, what, that, that's what's about to happen with Habakkuk, because his people are the ones getting destroyed. The Bible is constantly saying that not all Israel is God's people that there's a faithful remnant among them all the time, every single time. Remember, this is tied heavily to the Exodus story. Remember, God brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt. Um, they, they went into the wilderness. And only two of them made it to the promised land. They were the remnant. The rest, of, the rest of the Israelites all died in the wilderness because they weren't part of the faithful remnant. The remnant makes it. Many of those in the wilderness were not the remnant. God was carrying out everything he was doing for the salvation of his people and he will do that with Habakkuk what's going to happen after Habakkuk is the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to carry off um, the 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 nation into exile they're going to take them off for 70 years but God's people are going to thrive in exile his faithful remnant is going to thrive there you know the story of Daniel and his three friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they are faithful in exile they are God's remnant in exile the same with Esther Esther and Mordecai are faithful in exile God is carrying out all this work for the salvation of his people but Habakkuk will never see this Habakkuk will never see it nor will anybody in his generation they will die hoping that God will work in the future that's where we're at in the timeline. They will die 
hoping God is going to do something one day. So what is the proper way to view your suffering? Look for Christ in the midst of it. How is God using it for the salvation of your soul and the salvation of others' souls? But remember, you may not see the results of that in your life. The reward of your suffering may not come on this earth until 50 years after you have died. So if you don't get to see the results, how do you respond? How do you respond when the tragedy leaves you in rubble and no one around to help you clean it up? Habakkuk answers that in verses 16 through 19. He does, I believe, believe three things. Yeah, he does three things. Verse 16, he waits on the Lord. He waits on the Lord. He has heard all of this. Look how he describes it. He's overwhelmed. He says, my body trembles, my lips quiver, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. He can't even stay standing. It's too much. He falls on his face, but he will wait on the Lord. Remember the last two weeks I've spoke of that cliche that we tend to believe that we're not supposed to ask God why. Faith is asking God why and trusting the answer he gives you. That's the tagline of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk asks God why, and then he trusts God with the answer he gives him. Habakkuk is so overwhelmed at the thought of what's going to happen, what he is going to see in Israel, but he will wait on the Lord. He knows the Lord will do something despite all of it. The people who invade them will be destroyed as well. Waiting on the Lord, what is it? It's trusting he has purposes in what he is and what he does, even if it doesn't make sense. It's trusting that he is working even when things see the, seem the absolute terrible that they could possibly be. It's trusting him. He's doing something that I can't see right now. Sometimes I get impatient when I'm waiting on people, so I decided to do it myself. You know, we, we do that with God, don't we? God is taking too long. Fine, I'll do it myself. That's what Abraham did with Hagar. God promised him, you're going to have a son. I know your wife is like 110, but y'all are going to have a son. I promise you. And finally, they're just like, well, this isn't working. I'm going to go have a child with Hagar. And God still keeps his promise, doesn't he? He still gives them a son through Sarah. That's not waiting. Waiting is being patient and not getting ahead of God. Habakkuk embraces the tragedy, yet he can see beyond it because he loves the Savior. Second, he waits on the Lord. Second, he, he takes joy in the Lord, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though all the things, though the fields yield no food, though there's no herd in the stalls, though nothing is working out as far as agriculture goes, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, even if, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, even if tragedy strikes, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even if tragedy strikes, God is my joy. Do you still trust God even if you don't see deliverance for the suffering in your lifetime? What if you never come out of the current struggle you're in? Is Jesus enough? No matter the waiting, is Jesus enough? No matter the pain, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? What if God's purposes in your suffering will not be realized for five generations? Is Jesus enough? Because remember, that's going to be the case for Habakkuk. The grand picture of deliverance that Habakkuk is hoping for, it's not going to be seen for, for about 600 years. 
Israel's going to go into exile for 70 years. They're going to get out. They're going to be under Roman rule. It's something like almost 500 more years before Jesus comes, dies for the sins of the people, rises from the dead, and begins the new creation that Habakkuk is hoping for, the true deliverance from wrath that is coming. Jesus is going to bring that. Habakkuk's not going to see that. They will still be oppressed during all this time. Jesus will be the one who, by his death and resurrection, releases them from bondage, releases them from the wickedness of the culture around them. Habakkuk will not see this, and nobody alive will see this. Habakkuk will die and go to his grave having never seen victory, having only seen defeat. Yet he cries out, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's what joy is. Joy is not dictated by circumstances. It's not dictated by circumstances. It's dictated by God. Joy is dictated by God. Our joy is in Christ alone. Christ does not change. Christ is not overcome. Our circumstances are. Our circumstances change 10 times before we clock into work in the morning. They do. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Habakkuk has joy in a Savior because he knows ultimate victory will always be found in the Savior. Is that your joy this morning? Wherever you're searching for joy, you you will not find it other than Christ. How are those things working out for you that you're trying to find joy in? Answer, they're not. If it hasn't disappointed you yet, give it a little more time. It will. You need joy in the Lord. Is Christ enough? Habakkuk waits on the Lord. Habakkuk takes joy in the Lord. And verse 19, he relies on the Lord. He relies on the Lord. In light of this joy, Habakkuk will rely on the Lord. He says, God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on high places. He calls God his strength. That is, the darkness of this suffering may never lift, but God will be my strength through it. More than that, look at how he describes it. He makes my feet like the deer. Like the deer. What do deer do? Well, they jump and they prance, don't they? They don't slug around like... No, they they leap over fences and they run and they hop and they do all of that. They don't wallow. They don't slowly trudge along. They leap for joy. On top of that, he says, he makes me tread on the high places. So he's a deer hopping up the mountains. Like that, that's what God is, that's what kind of strength God is giving him. A deer hopping up the mountains. The strength God provides will give Habakkuk the strength to not only survive, but to thrive in the midst of suffering. God wants you to thrive in your suffering. He provides the strength for that. So wait on him. It's it's that passage in Isaiah that, that you I'm sure you know, but it's it's such a good passage. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The strength to thrive in suffering is found in Christ alone. Christ came and suffered to provide you the strength to bear the cross. 
he bore the cross, that you would be able to bear the cross as well. Remember what Hebrews 12 says, that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He had joy set before him so he can endure the shame of the cross. He had joy far greater than the shame. You have joy ahead of you far greater than anything you're in right now. You have joy greater than anything you've ever been through on this earth. But you will not know this joy. You will not thrive in suffering. You will not know how to live in the rubble of an unhappy life if you do not know Jesus. So I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him in such a way that you thrive in suffering because you have trusted in his suffering that he bore on the cross in your place? He suffered for you. You must place your faith in that suffering. Is today the day you're going to finally do that if you haven't? Your life may not have a happy ending, but in Christ, there's a happy ending beyond this life when the morning comes. So you can rejoice in the God of your salvation, and you can have strength in him. But only those of you who believe. So believe. Let's pray. Father, we wait on you. We rejoice in you, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, and we, we, we call you our strength. Lord, we have no hope in this life apart from you, nothing to give us joy, nothing to wait on, only Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that that is the hope and joy of every person here this morning. If they know you, Lord, help them to realize the, the treasury of, of joy that they have in Christ. And if they don't know you, may they come running to you as the only hope for their life. In Jesus' name. Amen.